Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. Are the cardinal virtues of courage, temperance, wisdom, and justice enough to live our highest good? Is there a need for the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love? These are just two of the questions we explore in this wide-ranging conversation. In this episode, I welcome to the show two friends from the Walled Garden, Sharon LaBelle, author of The Art of Living, and Simon Drew, author of The Poet and the Sage. As you'll hear in the episode, Sharon and Simon have thought deeply about what it means to live a virtuous life, and I'm grateful they took the time to come on the show. In the conversation, we explore the questions, what is faith? And what's the opposite of faith? How should we think about hope in daily life? Why some philosophers see hope as something to avoid? What roles our views and beliefs play in living virtuously? Wisdom in daily life? And much more. Although we covered much ground in the conversation, we only scratched the surface. Our goal is to connect again in the near future to explore the virtue of love. So more to follow there. You can learn more about Sharon LaBelle's writing, music, and work in the world at SharonLaBelle.com. And you can connect with Simon Drew at thewalledgarden.com and learn more about live events, philosophical mentoring, and much more. Without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Sharon LaBelle and Simon Drew. But before we get into the specifics of virtue and things like that, I realize that this is your first time on In Search of Wisdom, Sharon, so welcome. And I, I want to start with a, an opening question that we I think we asked uh, most guests here, which is something on the lines of searching for wisdom. Maybe what initially started your, your search for, for wisdom or fill in the blank of whatever you might call it. I'm going to give you a bone, honest answer. Not that I've been dishonest in the past when I'm asked similar questions, but this is the uh, unself-flattering answer. Like many young people, when I was, say, about 12 years old, I was inexplicably miserable and lost. It didn't make sense. I had all the trappings of a safe and happy childhood. And it was confusing to me because I was aware of that contrast between my outside circumstances and how I saw the world. And what I realized, though, I, I don't know how I articulated it to my young self. But what I realized is I couldn't understand why people weren't stopping in their tracks in their workaday lives and saying, can you believe it? We're here. We're really 
here. This is this is amazing. And and yet what were we doing here? And so so I just had this, you know, inchoate sense of uh not seeing any evident purpose to life. And yet life was lifing around me and everyone was taking it seriously, like uh, we should. Mm. Well, so that, um, that engendered a lot of questions, which brought me to books. And I'm happy to say that in asking the questions, which I'm, still asking and they ramify into other questions i'm not unhappy or lost anymore because i take comfort in and faith in the fact that i don't know very much <laughs> and i've i've learned that's that's actually kind of a a beautiful place to dwell. Well, I love it. And it's also a, a beautiful intro to this, this conversation on, on faith, hope, and, and love. And I've asked a lot of people that question. And I think your response is, is really exactly my curiosity around that question. Not everybody answers it that way with maybe that clarity of, of at 12 years old, there's some sort of question that grabs a hold of you and won't let go per se and, and, and lives with you. Um, I guess a question around faith to live the questions. I think I've seen you something You've written somewhere about living the questions. Simon and I have talked about living the questions. You know, is is faith required to to live these types of questions that maybe grab a hold of us? Yeah, I mean, as you were asking that question, Josh, I was kind of thinking, um, you know, some of the best definitions of faith that I've heard is centered around uh, th these definitions they're centered around this kind of willingness to accept the adventure of life uh or to accept the unknowing uh, the, the the constant unknowing like sharon talked about uh to accept that but to lean into it nonetheless you know and to to go all the way nonetheless um and as you were asking that question i was wondering you know how much of this is our upbringing as opposed to our you know, chosen philosophical exploration as opposed to our choice to have faith or is faith, faith something that uh, almost instills itself within you over a period of time? Um, you know, for me, I think it had so much to do with my upbringing because I grew up on a farm with parents who loved the fact that we would run around doing crazy things all the time. You know, I'd, one day I'd be going on an adventure with my brother and we'd be catching this giant carpet snake and bringing it back and putting it in a pen and, <laughs> you know, and then, and then, you know, we'd be riding horses or exploring the forests or, you know, uh, just always going into some kind of unknown. And I think, um, uh, it, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people who grow up on farms will naturally tend to the, the willingness to go on that adventure. Um, you know, but, but also just having parents who just really encouraged me constantly, uh, go and explore, go and try things, go and try to be everything that you could be. And then on top of that, you know, being brought up in a religion, uh, Mormonism, where, you know, one of the fundamental things that's taught to every single kid just drilled into them over and over again is don't hide your light. You know, you've got something about you, go and give it to the world. And, and there's this constant encouragement to explore and to go on the great adventure. Uh, and I think that to the extent that we kind of shrivel back into our dark corners in life and, 
you know, get scared or act out of fear versus love. Um, I think that's kind of when we are acting out of alignment with, with faith or, or perhaps we choose not to live with faith. But again, I, I guess my question is, uh, you know, like I, I left the church and, you know, um, but then over time I kind of, uh, have really felt that, that, that call to, uh, reestablish faith within my life or to, to rekindle that flame of faith within my life because you, I guess over time it can strengthen when you start to see what Sharon actually said to me very recently, which is that life is not against you. <laughs> uh, it, it, life can be very welcoming when you look at it from a different angle and can be very nurturing when you look at it from a different angle. And if you can see life from that angle, I think it's easier to, to have faith because it's, it's not necessarily just a blind faith. It's, Oh, when I show up in this way, life will respond in a certain way. And perhaps I can't tangibly prove that in a logical argument to somebody, but I experience it in my life. And so I'm going to live out of faith, uh, because I can see that, that experience, or I, I, can, I know that experience, but I don't know. That's, that's my, uh, half baked dish for you. Love it. I like in listening to you, Simon, I noticed that in your description of your own faith, both its inception and its expressions across your life, you were always using action words. And to me, that's very important because I think of faith as a verb, as a doing, as opposed to a subjective state. Um, to me, faith is very much akin to the virtue of courage because it's a stepping out into the unknown with no assurances that everything's going to be okay. And yet you take the step And I think this distinction of just what I'm calling for shorthand, the idea of faith as a verb, as a doing, is so important because uh, you made passing reference to the idea of blind faith, which is one of the species of a merely subjective understanding of faith and blind faith as we all know because we're familiar with demagogues of old um, contemporaneous demagogues but we have seen how easy it is for human beings to lodge their faith with 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 strong men or people who are going to lead them to drink Kool-Aid that has bad things in it. So I always think that if we're living our faith through good deeds within the confines of the big, I don't know anything or uncertainty that somehow that inclines us as individuals and even as a culture toward a more virtuous expression of self and culture. I'm curious to ask, there's a lot that I hear and a lot maybe written about the cardinal virtues not as much about the theological virtues. And when you think of faith, to me, it seems like it can be a valuable virtue 
from a like a secular non secular perspective. I, I've I've heard it said that we can't make a single act without some sort of faith. You know, it's it's like even if someone adopts the cardinal virtues, for example, as their you know points on a compass to to follow in God. Isn't there a certain level of faith or belief that that is going to improve your life or lead you in a direction that you want to head? Maybe, Sharon, you could speak to this, but what specifically would be the direct opposite of faith? What do you think? Because you know, to me, when I think of hope, for example— you know, that's that's a more simple one to me. It seems like the opposite of hope is despair. Uh, but yes. but what is the opposite of faith? And I think if we can find the opposite of faith, we can kind of understand. Yeah, I, I think even get closer to what you're saying there, Josh, which is that you can't really live without <laughs> living in, in faith, in a sense. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Indifference. And how do you think that that would manifest itself in somebody's life, you know, whether, whether by actions or um, emotions, feeling their relation to the world around them or to God? Well, one kind of ready-at-hand model of the posture of indifference in the world is, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to throw out the trope of, you know, the guy who's got his, his beer next to him and the lazy boy and his uh, TV clicker and, you know, his stuffing food <laughs> into his mouth and, I mean, that's that's kind of crude, but in other words, approaching the, the world, and I think we all fall into this because we get, we get faith fatigue. <laughs> um, uh, we get um, trying to be the best people we are fatigue, and what happens is a kind of um, uh, where we revert to, you know, our more lizard brain selves of just wanting to consume experiences rather than truly engage, you know, to dare to care and engage with life, with the person in front of you in all the clumsiness that entails. There's there's a kind of retreating to just the safety of looking for the next big fun or avoiding the next big uncomfortable thing. Mm. Oh man. Sometimes it seems to me like the, uh, <laughs> okay. Cause I, I, I resonate with the guy in the armchair sometimes, you know, <laughs> sometimes you get home from a long day or <laughs> you know, you, what you He's really want to do is be Gus. <laughs> You know, Poor and Gus. you just want to, you know, <laughs> sit there and just turn turn on YouTube and just let those algorithms do their work with you, you know, <laughs> just next, <laughs> next, next, you know, um, and see what right. the algorithms make of you. But um, but then perhaps the turn of faith is I really identify with what you're saying there, Sharon, about that the next big uncomfortable thing. Sometimes for me. Uh, the big uncomfortable thing is, uh, you know, I was like, even last night, I'm, I'm sitting there, Jim was at work and, you know, I'm sitting there on the bed, I'm listening to some YouTube, I'm doing a lot of work, you know, it's pretty standard for me as I'm listening to YouTube, working on the website, figuring things out, doing business. But still, there was a part of me last night, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I need to just take some time. And it was actually kind of horrifying to think about, take the headphones off, put the computer away, play with the cats. <laughs> You know, even that can be the thing that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared to actually put down the work or to, you know, um, and I just, I think, um, you know, perhaps a, a beautiful example, I would say of the, 
the opposite of that spectrum, somebody who does live out of, out of faith, um, and hope and love, uh, there, there's a person who I, um, I see on a semi-regular basis, um, uh, you know, she's this elderly lady who works at the 99 cent store next to the place where I work down Fullerton. And, you know, one of the things you've got to think is when you go through a checkout at a 99 cent store, the chances that you're going to come across somebody who's checking you out, who is friendly, excited, you know, happy to be there doing their job to the best, not the highest chance because it's, it's not, it's, it's not going to be the, 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 the kind of, you know, high praise, you know, high corporate ladder kind of job where, you know, you would expect people to be excited to be there. But man, oh my gosh, I check out and whenever this, this lady is there, she, you know, I can tell she's a Christian and she is just, she is so happy, so happy to see me. Always says, you know, God bless you on the way out, you know, um, just smile on her face. And I just think, mm-hmm. Man, that's who I want to be. In every, you know, the, the the spirit that flows through that person, and that to me seems like the opposite. You know, no matter what it is that you're doing, you can do it with with beauty and integrity and joy and and with faith. You know, uh, uh, and so I, I don't know that that to me seems like the opposite of indifference. Um, you know, somebody like that. I love that I- example, Simon. It it makes me think that maybe, you know, in terms of faith, having the faith that beauty and something like that is available in each moment. Like, I wonder if there's many people that go in this same 99 cent store that, as you call it, that don't quite notice it. You know, they're maybe... Um, I don't know. That's that's interesting. Could I follow that thread on on the clums, clumsiness of, of life? If I if I heard you uh, correctly, Sharon, I made some sort of note, or I was thinking something about you know faith, whether it's from a religious perspective or non-religious perspective, it can be a difficult thing. Say if someone has this cosmic view of the world and they're seeing some of the reality that exists in the world, maybe suffering, evil, as well as, you know, beauty and things like that. How does faith, is faith at all involved in making sense of the world? Like as you talked about as seeing it as an action, but it does seem to be also connected in some way with how one makes sense of the world. You know, your perspective, as we've talked about, there's been these threads of uncertainty and not knowing, not necessarily in action. Maybe you could argue that it is, but it's a bit of, you know, you think of Seneca, the whole future lies in uncertainty. It's a bit of making sense of the world. That's just how it is. I think you've just said something really important, Joshua, the relationship between faith and making sense of the world. Uh, Kind of stopped in my tracks about that don't have something clever at hand to say about that. But that connection is beeping at me. And I'll, I'll just say this as a kind of groping in the direction of that connection you've made. That connection summons in me the question, which also Simon raised, you know, where does faith come from, right? Where, where do we get it? Now, Simon talked about the gift of being 
raised in a certain kind of family milieu with certain values and certain uh, ways that people behave towards one another. I think, and that's all true, I think even under that, besides someone telling you in a church or a mosque or a synagogue or even having some burning bush moment yourself, I think the scaffolding of faith is a hypothesis. I think it's memory. And it's it's just this huge, our lifelong concatenation of memories where we were terrified, where we were lost in ways big and small. What's going to happen next? Uh-oh. And what do you know? We made it to this moment and we're okay. We didn't go bankrupt. He didn't leave me. Uh, I didn't get an F. You know, whatever it is. We keep something keeps some grand uh, moving sidewalk of life (laughs) just keeps saying, and now you're here, and now you're here. And Joshua, Simon, Sharon, look, everything's fine. Everything's okay. You know, yeah, you've got that letter from the IRS at the post office, but everything's going to be okay. <laughs> and in fact, it's a beautiful day. Who cares about the letter from the IRS? Or, you know, fill in the blank. So anyway, there's, uh, there's my half-baked answer. I would, I would love to hear what you think, Joshua. What do you think? What do you think about this relationship between making sense of the world and faith? I am tending to think recently that how we make sense or how we see the world is at least as equally important, you know, in in relation to some sort of virtue. Like maybe take love, for example, which you, you've talked about faith, which which I really appreciate as seeing it as an action. You know, St. Ignatius said the same thing about love, you know, see it in as deeds. But then, like what leads to good deeds? If you think about much of maybe, I tend to always bring in Marcus Aurelius in meditations, it seems like, but you know, there's this making sense of the world or this perspective that, hey, we're all connected. What's good for the bees, good for the hive. We're part of this. And I think of that as, you know, I spent my adult life in the military. When you think of courage, there are are many examples of these really heroic acts of soldiers, you know, putting their life on the line, whether it be jumping on some sort of explosives or all sorts of other situations. And it's that interconnectedness, that being part, being connected seems to be just as important as that virtue of love and courage and maybe almost required. You know, if someone is seeing themselves as a separate entity, this individual, does that you know, lead to someone being courageous, you know, acts of love. Not sure. I wonder if I might throw some, some more halfbacked ideas in, into this, this conversation. Um, you know, cause, cause Josh, uh, I, yeah, I'm also really interested in this idea that, um, I think what you, what you and Sharon have said is really interesting in terms of, uh, this kind of scaffolding is, is, is faith naturally just built into the, to how we act. Is it built into the fundamentals of reality? Um, 
to Sharon's point, I think scaffolding is is a really beautiful way of, of putting it. And and Josh, you you kind of mentioned um, uh, a bit of a, a Marcus Aurelius quote there with uh, "What's good for the bee is good for the hive." Well, you know, Marcus also said uh, something along the lines of "Remember." The, the problems that you face today, you will face those problems with the same reasoning capacity that you had yesterday and the day before and the day before. <laughs> it's like, and to Sharon's <laughs> point, remember, remember that, that, that all throughout your life, you have been standing on the scaffolds of, of that capacity that you have as a human being. It's built in. You have choice. You have this, this will where you get to kind of examine and then make the best choice that you can make in that, in that particular situation. But then, um, as you guys know, I always like to go to the extremes, um, at those extreme moments. And, uh, I think I talked about this last time we were having this sort of conversation. Disney movies, they always, not always, there's very, very often a scene in Disney movies that, um, as far as I can tell is this kind of mythological, uh, 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 portrayal of an act of faith. And it's usually, um, uh, there's some sort of chasm. There's some sort of very, uh, deep or, um, uh, empty space that somebody has to get across and they choose to run out over it. I remember one movie that I can't remember what it was called. You know, it was, it was a Canyon. He had to get to the other side of the Canyon and, and it's, it's this big intense moment. He's like, oh, oh, he do- doesn't know if he can do it, but then he decides to run. And when he starts to run, what happens is that like this kind of glassy substance goes over the Canyon so he can actually get to the other side. Uh, we see it in frozen uh, when the main character is standing by the side of the ocean. And this time she actually has to try a few times. She runs out onto the ocean and, and it starts to turn to ice beneath her feet. But then, you know, she kind of loses the faith and then falls into the water and she does it again and loses the faith, falls into the, but on the last <laughs> try, you know, she's, you can tell she's really, she's in it. She's motivated. She's ready. She is all in on life and she runs out and she just keeps on running into the ocean. You know, and, and to me, that is kind of the moment where it's almost like the trial of faith. Do you really have faith? You know, is there a moment in your life where you're thinking, Oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, you know, and then you have to kind of rely on that memory, like Sharon was talking about to give you that power to say, okay, I'm all in, you know, and when you do that, um, uh, I guess the hope <laughs> is that, you know, your faith will uh, or that, that that scaffolding will be beneath you and you won't just fall into the depths when you decide yeah. I'm all in. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that that's a really beautiful uh, storied portrayal uh, of, of what faith looks like. It also just shows you that Disney is is unbelievably <laughs> profound and and uh, and deep in their religious uh, ideas, you know, that come through in the movies. What's so amazing is when one really does have faith. <laughs> However, we come by it by by dumb luck, by the scaffolding of memory, by God, fill in the blank. Life always meets us halfway when when we go all in, as you put it, Simon, right? It's uncanny. Yeah. It's it's always there, the hand, that extra hand or the helicopter that come to, you know, whatever is needed, it's there. But you just got to decide, I'm crossing the Red Sea. I I don't know, maybe it's going to. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> Gobble me up. The, but the biblical idea, yeah, you know, it's the same the thing. We're crossing the Red Sea. Who's with me? <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, what is your Red Sea? <laughs> That's yeah. 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 We Yeah, it's a good question. I think we all are kind of toting one behind us, at least one. Mm. Yeah. It's so fascinating, but I, I do find it complicated in a way or paradoxical, maybe in a way in everyday life. It's, it's like you think of faith and, and hope. It seems like it's, um, 
maybe some sort of tightrope walk, if you will. Like as Simon was talking about this, you know, the faith to to walk that particular path, whether you see it or or not, you know, like a road not there or something. Sometimes I have this visual of like, you know, I think we've all been in um, in the ocean or some sort of like deep water. There is uncertainty. You really don't know what's under there. You know, what's beneath your, your feet. There's, there's an uncertainty. And I've heard, um, I've heard the opposite of faith described as like most people think, um, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is the opposite of faith is doubt. But I've heard it described as the opposite of faith is certainty. But there is this unknowing. There's this unknowing of if like the whole future lies in uncertainty, we're in this ocean, just to to use that as analogy, it's just uncertain what is beneath you, but you have to navigate your way. And it's the same thing with the future. We just don't know. It's, it's dark. We just, but we still have to, to walk. We still have to walk that particular path. And then to ask a question and put it out there and maybe to transition to hope a bit. Briefly, if we think of the Stockdale paradox, which people can Google, right. you know, uh, Stockdale talked about the, the uh, POWs that didn't make it out of that in that, that uh, POW camp. They basically like clung to a certainty, you know, it's like we're going to be out of here by Christmas you know, they had this certainty where Stockdale suggested this idea of navigating, facing the brutal facts. We don't know. It's we don't even know if we're even going to make it out of here. But at the same time, we have to. I think he was saying we have to have faith that we can handle what comes our way and that we can walk some sort of path. It, it almost seems like hope and faith are kind of intertwined and and difficult to navigate I, I put out a lot there but any thoughts to take that you know any which way you like Sharon do you mind if I take this one and and give you some time to yeah, yeah. oh I wish you would I wish you <laughs> um would. not that I have any sort of uh, certain answer but but that what's popping up for me um as as we're talking about this Josh is um uh, one of the wild ideas of Christianity. Uh, I say wild, not in a negative sense, but it, a grandiose idea maybe um, is, is that, um, that the light will return, you know, the second coming Christ will ret- return. It's such a, it's such a mind boggling idea. And sometimes you really wonder, does anybody <laughs> really believe that, Jesus Christ will return and judge the sinners and liberate the the people of God. But then if you kind of, um, I'm no theologian um, and I'm no Christian uh, (laughs) as in, um, or at least I'm a bad Christian, if you would call me that. But um, uh, I can't help but see this idea less of a, you know, is it really that that this physical like Christ is going to return again? There's going to be this guy who comes back in the clouds and everything like that, or is it perhaps um, this idea that no matter no matter how rough times get, there is this hope, there is this faith that the light will return. You know that 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 this light will come back, uh, and and in the light returning. It's not like the light is going to be standing there saying, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in. But it's it's actually more the power of that light will be so bright that it literally, it will be a type of judgment on those who could not see it coming. And it will be a type of judgment on those who receive it. Um, in the same way that when you're around a great, a truly great man or woman, there is a natural judgment that's happening. <laughs> you know, you can feel it. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm in the presence of somebody who is so brilliant. Will I ever live up to that? 
you know, uh, how could I be better in my life because I want to be more like that person? It, of course, it's a natural judgment on who you are and, 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 and how you have, have lived your life. And so to me, it seems like that is this kind of really radical um, idea, but actually it, 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 it's a question. Do you believe, do you have faith that the light will return no matter how dark times get? And it's a crazy idea. And I don't know what it would mean really to have true faith that that will happen. And maybe one final little piece on this is I think in the Stoic theology that every single thing within this grand cosmos actually has a part to play. Everything has a role. Everything fits perfectly within this grand system. And maybe we don't know what the system is or where it's going, but to, to be able to see that from the smallest to the largest, there is a purpose in everything. I think that gives me a lot of faith that the light will return because you can kind of see that. Well, I mean, even in the ancient Greek, it's not written as Christ. It's written as the Christ, the Christ will return, you know? Um, and so, uh, the light, you know, do you believe that inbuilt into this grand system of the cosmos, there is, a little mechanism that when times get very, very intense, very, very tough for a lot of people, the intensity of that moment almost pops out the light in people and returns us to stasis or <laughs> I don't know, maybe that, that that's my half-baked set of uh, uh, maybe non-conforming ideas, but um, that that's kind of what I'm thinking about as, as you're saying that. I, w- I wonder... And, and maybe maybe we'll get a little strange here in the in the conversation, but I think that's okay. Um, it's like hope or like the Stockdale paradox thing, like the brutal facts. Looking at it can be difficult to to look at, and like as Simon was talking about, um, like a returning light. And I, it goes without saying, I'm no theologian and, you know, this, the same, same applies as, as Simon said, but I don't necessarily care for the idea of a light returning, you know, it's like, um, think of faith. Like we were talking about faith and yeah, it's like, maybe we don't go bankrupt. Maybe, you know, no one leaves us, but like, maybe we do go bankrupt. Maybe people do leave us, (laughs) you know, it's like sometimes uh, there's green lights and we're just going through life and we're catching some green lights and maybe faith and and I mean it both in a in a religious and non-religious perspective however I think there's some sort of value of 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 thinking about faith as a as a virtue for all of us but like maybe there is a bit of light in the darkness quote unquote the people leaving us, the bankruptcy, the, you know, just as Simon, you were talking about going in that 99 cent store, you know, even there, even there, you know, it's like everywhere we look, I I think I've heard it, something said like, you know, every bush is burning, you know, it always has been, always will be, There, there is some sort of light available to us in the midst of, you know, no matter what happens. I, I think that is so true. And it's easy to somehow become inaccessible to that truth Because also, we have to awaken and reawaken over and over again to the fact that we don't know the intrinsic meaning of any 
given event or moment that like you're saying, you know, the bankruptcy, the this, the that, you know, how often do we hear that story of, you know, oh, when I went bankrupt, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because then, then I met Susan and then this, and then I started living my authentic self and blah, blah, blah. And, but they, but they mean it. They mean it, you know, because in the fullness of time, uh, events, uh, you know, the puzzle pieces start to rearrange themselves. Not that we ever get to see the full jigsaw puzzle all nice and <laughs> neat and complete, but we start to fit some things together that we don't see when when we're up close to things and think that our that our where we think that our feelings are what is happening mm-hmm. and that that's where our beloved stoics come in because they say hey mind your mind hey stupid mind your mind <laughs> you know are you going to just let those feelings hijack your perceptions of this moment i mean this may be this may be the most redemptive moment you're ever going to experience, stupid. Pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> Let me throw in a quick question about the the Stoics. You know, why yeah. do the Stoics kind of rail against hope? You think of philosophers like Nietzsche as well. They are are not fans of the idea of hope. Right. Um, well, I have to say that I think the Stoics taught a lot of good stuff, but their representation of hope as something that can interfere with eudaimonia or with a settled mind I'm not on that train personally. I, I like, I like the inherent passion that goes with hope. And I don't think, I don't think it's a dangerous thing. I, I think it's what, it, what, it's what keeps our spirits vital and willing to give a shot at the next thing that comes up. I mean, and and I think of that not just in a personal sense, but even in a cultural sense. Um, so I I'm a member of the Jewish people, and my relatives have been slaughtered and kicked out of places for hundreds and hundreds of years. And what's so interesting to me is that when the state of Israel was formed as, as a refuge for Jews, as a place to, here, you can come here and not be hassled anymore. The, the national anthem is called Hatikva, the hope, and it's all about hope. Mm-hmm. And this anthem was embraced after a a third of Jews on earth had just been slaughtered. So um, I'm not sure I have a point in there, but I guess I just say like, I'm into hope. (laughs) (laughs) I got it in my skin and it's not a belief. It's a, well, what's the alternative man? You know, it's like, what's the alternative? Yuck. Can I get a bet for the Stoics here? (laughs) Yes, please. I'll I'll say this. um, uh, Firstly, that I I think it is, like you say, Sharon, a matter of definitions. What you know? How do we how do we frame hope? What is it really? But I think that the Stoics do have a lot of really sophisticated things to say about hope. And Seneca, for example, puts hope on the same level as fear, because uh, you could say, in one sense, that what you're doing, if you're hoping or you're fearing, is you're saying 
with hope, you're saying, I really want this to, ha- or, or, or I expect, or I, I wish for this to happen in the future. Wouldn't it be nice if I could actually have some hope that this good thing would come my way? Good self-described by you. Um, with fear, you're perhaps saying, um, well, I really hope that this thing doesn't happen in the future. Um, you know, please don't let this thing happen. And, and, and in either situation, you're kind of setting an expectation for your future. And if that expectation doesn't get met because life wants to go in a different direction, as soon as it hits you, right, right. you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be fit because what you desired did not mm-hmm. materialize. And what the Stoics would actually say is much if you're going to hope, Please just hope that you will accept and respond appropriately as you can, as appropriately as you can, to whatever life throws at you. And if if that's the only thing that you hope for, then that's perhaps appropriate because because then you're not telling like, like Alan Watts. He would often say that what preachers were doing is not necessarily exploring God, but they're telling God what He is. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get into the habit of telling life what it should be or telling God what He should do you know, or, or expecting that life should go how we want it to be. And, and I think that there is a state of hopelessness and fearlessness that doesn't manifest itself as nihilism, doesn't manifest itself as indifference, but rather manifests itself as a willingness to accept what life throws at you, whatever it is, and to respond as best as you can to it. And I can't, I don't know, like, to me, that sounds... I understand that I hope for a lot of things, but at the same time, like when I'm, when I'm playing a piece of music and improvising or when I'm writing a piece of poetry, I have really tried to remove hope and fear out of the equation. Not necessarily in those terms. I don't sit there and think I'm not going to fear and I'm not going to hope, you know, but I, I don't want the poem to be something specific that I think it should be by the end. I want to go on the adventure and respond to each word as it comes to me, you know, and, and the same with playing piano and improvising. It's like, you know, if you can get into that stage, then you're not, you're not living here when you should be here. You know, you're not living in the future when you should be living in this present moment and creating the thing that is happening. And so uh, I've always found that that makes for quite, quite interesting and, and good and meaningful art, you know, when, when you're not saying, this is the thing that I'm trying to say, or this is the thing that I hope will happen. No, you're, you're responding in this present moment to what's happening. So I don't know. I think that the Stoics have some really um, interesting and wise things to say there. But then on the flip side is, um, well, it's difficult to get to that place where you truly don't hope that life will go, you know, a certain way, but, but will just happen how it happens. I don't know. Does that make sense? Bravissimo. Appreciate it, Sharon. Thank you. Yeah. And w- what's that mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, g- g- great. Uh, 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 thank you. <laughs> great <Brilliant>. ramblings. <laughs> the, br- the the brilliant of the brilliant. <laughs> Bravo plus. <laughs> I love it, and I don't know. I thought that was a great explanation of. Um, a bit how I see it of some sort of tightrope walk. It's like, you know, you get over here and you're in like clinging and desiring and you're, you know, you're suffering because you're not getting what you want. But so, so I understand what the Stoics from that particularly perspective, but what about the idea of a more fati love of fate? It seems like there's some sort of mix of hope in there of that Stoic idea don't you think it's more about how you approach the present moment again? I mean, like fate, I don't know what fate's going to bring me tomorrow, the next day, you know, and nor would I try to necessarily predict that. I think it's easier to predict the closer it is to you. Uh, but it seems like love your fate is a present happening. It's not a future hope. It's in this moment, I will respond with love to whatever comes my way no matter what it is. And, and, and perhaps if there is hope in that, it's the hope that that will be a, um, a, an alignment within yourself that would actually be appropriate for life and what it's throwing it at, at you and would, would generate uh, beauty in your life 
and and in everybody else's life if you would do that. So I don't know. I think I think that that is still more of a um more of a present action that you, that you would take. I don't know. I think so as as well in the way of the present moment aspect of it. But like can we have faith in and I get them confused in terms of faith and hope. I, I think some of these things are so intertwined a bit. But of, you know, in this present moment, this is something for me. There's light. There's beauty available. This is, this is, is life. And, and maybe a worldview of, if you think of Marcus Aurelius, you know, he uses that uh, uh, analogy of, you know, throwing things on, on the flame. And that's, that's okay. We can become, you know, maybe who we're meant to be. We can walk that particular path. I don't know. To me, it seems like there's, is some sort of, um, yeah, I I guess I, I don't think the Stoics, as we've been talking about, are that, that far off or that, you know, anti- anti hope in a in a certain way it does seem like there's you know maybe a bit of a sprinkling of it in there <laughs> well, don't you think that the message of the stoics is incredibly hopeful you know because it yeah. says to you yeah wake up Very you've much. got so much power and it's hidden in the one place that you might never look, <laughs> you know, <laughs> go right back to the fundamental thing. Like Epictetus said, you know, the one thing that you can control is, you know, kind of the polishing of your character, you know, which leads yeah. to meaningful actions yes. in the world, positive actions in the world. Uh, maybe positive and meaningful might not be the, the precise right words to use, but life gets better when you do that one thing and it is in your power and the one tiny little thing that's hidden within you that maybe we never really look at. I mean, it's the most powerful thing. And, and so to me, while they might not be saying you should have hope, nonetheless, the message is incredibly hopeful. Yeah. Love it. I think so. Yeah. Cause it seems like they're saying, all you have to do to change your life and even life capital L is one thought at a time. <laughs> it's just yeah. one thought at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and you can do it, which is something. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's easy to forget that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That we have yeah. that ability. Well, I, I thought this might happen in the way of uh, having a fun and enjoyable conversation, but I, I thought we might just scratch the surface and maybe not get to to the third of the three theological virtues of, of love. So I hope that we can continue the conversation and do a do a part two two down the road for the for the listeners. But as a way to wrap up, um, any sort of parting parting thoughts, things to to share that come to mind. I just want to say how good is just scratching the surface. <laughs> it's so much fun. You know, <laughs> let's keep these conversations going and see if we can make our way all the way through. Cause um, no, it's always a joy. I think this is, this is an incredible trio as well. Um, yeah. I, I love this. Mm. So thank you. I, I, thank I would you. like that so much, Joshua. Thank you just for setting up this forum. It's, it's wonderful. And I just love being, reminded that all we have to ever do is step out in faith and take the next right step. <laughs> it ain't so complicated. <laughs> uh, I love it. It's an absolute privilege to connect with you both. I'll put uh, in links in the show notes to, to books, websites, and any, any way that we can make it easy for listeners to connect and, and learn more about the work in the world. So until next time, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom. Joshua, Simon, thanks. <laughs> You're the best and the most. <laughs> thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Josh. See you soon, yeah. I hope. Yeah, thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice.